of the Apostles. Now the Apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? And then Peter began to explain to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were, and the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had been uh, happened upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how God had said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift that God gave us when we believe in, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of the Lord. Have you ever tried something new? I don't, and I don't mean like switching from Crest to Colgate Ultra. I mean something new, something you weren't sure your friends, your parents, your colleagues, your 11th grade chemistry teacher were going to get behind. I mean something bold, difficult. But it's, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, nobody wants to be the first person to test the water to see if parachute pants or aquanet might make a comeback. I mean, nobody wanted to be the first black person to sit at the front of the bus refusing to get up and move to the back, right? 
You can get all kinds of hot water by being the first to stand up for something. The world is used to seeing things with a particular set of eyes, and it doesn't really appreciate being told that its vision is faulty. Politicians, perhaps better than anyone, know the perils of going first. You open yourself up to all kinds of backlash when you step out on a limb, which is why most of them don't do it very often. I mean, most people like the idea of our leaders publicly speaking the truth, but few people ever muster up the courage to face the inevitable fallout. Moral courage is something people say they value in the abstract, like, like when somebody else's reputation and livelihood are on the line. <laughs> it's, it's just tough being first. But we who've benefited from the courage of others, we ought to take every opportunity to express our gratitude. I mean, we also need to think about taking our place in the long line of people who've risked everything to make the world better for everybody. Look at Peter, for example. Well, this is a tricky one for old Peter. I mean, in our gospel this morning, the church as a thoroughgoing concern, remains relatively young. They've only been at it for a little while now, and things are starting to get settled down just a bit. They're feeling a bit more comfortable, confident, thinking about maybe getting a sign made that uh, people can see as they drive past on their way to the mall. Thinking about going to Rotary now, maybe, you know, joining a softball league. But it's not clear that this, things are completely perfect yet, but, but, but things are looking up for the church. And then Peter starts messing around with the Constitution and bylaws. And the next thing you know, they're letting in those people. Gentiles, the uncircumcised. I mean, come on. You start letting them in, and, you know, pretty soon they're dating your daughters and wanting to rearrange the furniture, upsetting the established order of things, right? Messing with the bulletin. Am I right? Come on. You, 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 you know what kind of people they are. I mean, it's one thing if they agree to change, become like us. But you can't just leave them the way they are, can you? I mean, how are you ever going to be able to hold your head up down at the bridge club? Well, something's got to be done. Well, yeah, I mean, Peter has stuck his hand in a hornet's nest this time. So here's what happened. So Peter, after coming back from visiting Cornelius, gets back home, and he is confronted by a contingent of testy elders and deacons who meet him at the front door, and they want to know just what he thinks he's doing eating with uncircumcised Gentiles. He's in trouble. I mean, you, you, you could see it in their eyes. I mean, they were getting things nailed down just the way they wanted them. They didn't need some busybody fooling around with the natural order of things. <laughs> and how did Peter respond? 
He said, well, you know, I was up in Joppa praying. Pretty soon I was in a trance, saw this vision. Sheep came down from heaven. It's got all kinds of animals in it. And I heard this voice that said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And of course I said, well, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I'm a good Jew. Don't eat that kind of stuff. And the voice said, well, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Three times that happened before three men from Caesarea showed up. And Peter said, and then the strangest thing happened. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them. Well, to make a long story short, I started talking to these Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. I mean, just like it fell on us back at Pentecost, remember? And so I said to myself, I said, self, if then God gave them the same gift God gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, who was I that I could hinder God? <laughs> that's, that's a tough question, isn't it? I mean, I'd love to be able to back down behind that question every once in a while. Preacher, just what do you think you're doing? You can't do that. We just don't go for that kind of stuff around here. You should know better than that. And I'd say, well, you're, you're absolutely right. And if it were up to me, I'd never have done it. But there I was, eating my unbuttered English muffin in my Barca lounger, and God told me to do it. And frankly, who am I to argue with God? I'm, that, that would be a handy one to be able to pull out on occasion. I mean, what are you supposed to say to that sort of unassailable logic? Because you know as well as I do that we've never done it that way before means something like God's never done it that way before. Right? And we ought to sit up and pay attention to that kind of stuff. I mean, it's easy to think that I've got God figured out. Whom God loves, what kind of thing God hates. Which often just means now I know whom I have to pay attention to and whom I can finally ignore with a clear conscience. But see, God doesn't like to live in the boxes that we make to store God in. God's constantly sort of breaking out of those boxes, doing things that make no sense, loving people that no intelligent person would love. I mean, it's in there. Read the book. God relentlessly chases lost coins, lost sheep, lost children. God is famous for paying people more than they deserve from, uh, for the same amount of work. God, God, God's got a reputation for inviting beggars off the street to big blowouts down at the country club. I mean, one of the most consistent themes of the Christian scriptures is that God is busy with the work of the worlds that we build in God's honor. God constantly calls me up short. See, I thought God meant this, when in fact, turns out God meant something entirely different. So we, let's just be honest. God is a God of surprises. There's no question about that. I, I'm continually being reoriented to life in the reign of God, constantly being taught to see the world in a different way, through, through different eyes. And, you know, it's, 
It's never what I thought it would look like. I mean, we ought to retain a certain amount of humility, it seems to me, because it, it, it's so easy to see the plans we hatch, the kingdoms we build, and think, <laughs> God must be proud. God must love what I love. God must care about what I care about. Yay, me. But as the author Calvin Miller, when asked one time if he felt that God had given him his art, the author said something that I've all, always cherished. He said, I'm reluctant to give God credit for anything God might not want to take credit for. And clearly we ought to be humble in attributing anything to the holy God whose spirit blows where it wills. And more often than not, in places that we never would have thought. This story of Peter and Cornelius, i make your head spin. God is constantly on the move, and those who would follow are always in jeopardy of missing the train. It's easy to think God can only act in this way or that, can only accept a particular kind of person. But what if God is busy doing a new thing? in new places that nobody ever thought to let in the door. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it one bit. I mean, I'm a nailed down sort of guy. I like to know where the toothpaste is when it's time to brush my teeth. I put it there, I want to go there and that's where it is. I, I, I'm uncomfortable with this restless spirit that blows where it wills. But, I mean, there you go. See, the story of Peter and Cornelius is a tough passage just to the extent that it asks us to do the difficult work of continuously discerning the movement of the Holy Spirit. I mean, where's God going? What kind of new things is God up to? Who is it that makes me a little twitchy that God is busy trying to welcome into the fold. It's easier to sit back and point out the rules and say, well, <laughs> this is how God's always done it before. But God is bigger than my attempts to box God in. God cares about establishing a reign of justice and peace, not about making me feel comfortable with it. In this story, the Holy Spirit moves Peter to go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, right? Not the established, made-to-order variety of parishioner who works in the office, drives a Buick, and keeps the lawn looking tidy. But apparently, it's the least desirable that God's going after. At least, least desirable by the standards We've been taught to judge by. As Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu once said, we may be surprised at the people we find in heaven. God has a soft spot for sinners. God's standards are quite low. You see, this story isn't about an argument over whether or not to wear pants or skirts to church. A little tiff over whether to let people drink coffee in the undesignated coffee drinking areas. 
When the Spirit told Peter to go to the Gentiles' house, the whole world shifted for the church. Everything changed. The implications for the first century church were seismic, unthinkable only a very short time before. It's almost impossible to oversell how radical Peter's action was and how horrified the church was when they found out about it. You mean those people? And God said, yeah, those people. Consequently, this little story is a dangerous one to read out loud in church. I mean, it raises more questions than it answers, doesn't it? What do you think the biggest question this text poses is? Where is God moving in the community of faith today, threatening old patterns of belief? What sorts of people is God busy inviting into our fellowship make us uncomfortable? The implications are troubling. But we can take comfort in the fact that it's not really our question at all. It's God's question. And like the good book says, who am I that I should hinder God? See, I'm afraid of this text. But I'm also just as afraid of getting in the way of what God wants us to do. Who God wants us to love. So what are we supposed to do? I, I don't know the answer to that question in full anyway. But I will say this. We Gentiles sitting here 2,000 years later fretting over whom God is busy calling today can only thank heaven above that Peter took a step to be the first that God moved to break down the barriers designed by the church to exclude us. One of my best friends, Dr. Greg Davis, professor of pathology at UK Med School, does autopsies for a living. He tells a story about his father, who's a second-generation Russian Jewish immigrant, spent most of his life as an OBGYN down in Knoxville, Tennessee. Back in the 1950s, he used to come to Kentucky to do pro bono work at the Florence Crittenden Home for Unwed Mothers. Now, one of the doctors, a a, a good Baptist deacon with whom he used to work as an OBGYN, just confronted him one day and he said, uh, what are you working with those girls for? I mean, you know by doing this, it looks like you approve of what they've done. But these girls are obviously sinners. How can you do it? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And Greg said his dad turned to the guy and said, look, I, I don't know a whole lot about your faith. I, I, I'm a Jew after all. But I have read the New Testament, and for the life of me, I can't remember where it says that Jesus tells his followers to ignore people who are different. Or worse, kick them when they're down. Uh, Which gospel is that in? (laughs) 
And it was said that the good Baptist deacon never spoke to him again. Look, I, I, I don't know what all this means as far as where God is leading us. Only that we need to be very careful when we presume to speak for God and whom God can love and therefore whom we are called also to love. I mean, trying to catch a glimpse of the movement of the Holy Spirit, it's not for the faint of heart. God's always trying to bring somebody into the game that we wouldn't have even picked for the team. But our job isn't to have all the answers all the time. Our job is continually trying to see the world the way that God sees the world. To be able to see those whom God calls us to love with different eyes, with God's eyes. But see, that's a good thing. Because I'll let you in on a little something. I, I'm pretty sure that my face doesn't come into people's, a lot of people's minds when the talk turns to Jesus. <laughs> we all ought to be grateful that God's got a sense of humor and that there's plenty of grace to go around. Amen.